Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with author and speaker Cheryl Ann Jeanette. She is a warm, wise, inspirational, and motivating person that moves her clients and readers alike. She wrote the best-selling book, The Imposter Lies Within, Silence Your Inner Critic, Tame Your Fear, and Unleash Your Badassery. She has great insights and stories. Enjoy this interview. Hi, Cheryl. It's Joe Domino. Hi, Joe. So nice to meet you. How are you? I'm wonderful. Nice to meet you. Thanks for taking a minute out today. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, you bet. So, you know, before we get into your life and and and, and a myriad of things here up front, you know, we've kind of gone through a tumultuous time with COVID and things relating to that. Mm-hmm. How did you do, you know, with with your business endeavors and just living in general? How did how did you do and how did things change for you? Oh, it's such a good question. You know, I, I'll tell you, I do a lot of podcasts and nobody has asked me that question. You know, it's interesting, Joe. I I have been very, very fortunate um, because, you know, I'm in a very safe kind of place. I, I'm in a very safe place. I probably went about 20 years as a single mother and um, was the head of my household. And I think had I been alone, it might have been a lot more difficult, but I'm in a really beautiful marriage. We live in a community where I was able to get out and take a lot of long walks. I was on Clubhouse. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that audio app. So I felt very connected to the outside world and to people in general. And um, when we had the means, you know, to be able to, do what we needed to do, buy the food we needed to buy, be able to be okay financially, you know, when things kind of went sideways because my husband is an architect and so his business pretty much disappeared overnight. And um, and I actually just am a very positive person. So I took it as I flow through change. I I don't resist it. And I've, you know, and I've trained myself to do that. And I was just like, okay, this is what it is right now. And I also set my expectations that were different from necessarily what we were hearing from the outside world. There was a lot of, you know, big pendulum swings from this will only be a few weeks, maybe a couple of months to, you know, gloom and doom. And I just realized I I had been in healthcare. I'd worked in healthcare um, we were actually preparing for a pandemic. We kind of expected we'd been long overdue for one. And so I probably had a little more information than a lot of people do. Uh, maybe I should say accurate information. And uh, and so I pretty much just said, you know what, it's going to be what it's going to be. We're going to be okay. And what we need to do is do our best. And I really just focused on helping, helping others as much as I could, you know, emotionally, mentally with their journey through yeah. the change and the uncertainty. Yeah, I, I think the thing that was interesting about going through this time was that it only magnified who we were. So whatever you were before this started was going to get magnified, whether it was positive or negative. It just had to go in a different direction. I agree. And, you know, the other thing, and I, I not only work with imposter syndrome, but also with burnout. And I, um, I'm actually writing a second book now, but... I'll tell you, one of the things that I think happened with COVID is 
you know, people, most people kind of got stopped in their tracks. Some people just had a lot more layered in to their workload, you know, um, and with very different circumstances. But what happened for a lot of people is if they were, if they were using work and busyness as avoidism and escapism practices, unknowingly, of course, right, and consciously, but staying really, really busy, really, you know, um, you know, that uh, almost workaholism, then they were forced to kind of look within. A lot of people avoid that that deep dive because it's scary, you know. There are a lot of suppressed emotions, memories, things that we don't really want to deal with. There are uncomfortable emotions of shame and blame and guilt that who wants to go back there? And there could be some trauma, you know, unhealed trauma. And so people were just kind of forced to be with themselves. So people either did a lot of healing in that and and got to know themselves better, or they used other routes for escapism and avoidism. True, very true. So let's get back to the beginnings of your life and how you got yourself set on this path of of motivation and, 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 and how you live your life. Talk to me about where you were born and raised and kind of how things progressed to get to a point where you're a writer and and, and you do what you do now? Wow, what a great question. So, you know, I was born and raised, I was born on the East Coast, but I was really very young. And so by the time we settled in somewhere, I was probably in my, you know, in grade school, I was in Northern California. I was raised in kind of an upper middle class, nice middle class and then upper middle class background. My father was a civil engineer. My mother stayed home until um, we were all out of kindergarten. And then and then she went back to work and she worked in accounting and, you know, just kind of had a good job. She was always, she was very bright. But my parents were really great people. They, they really were um, loving but my mother was not nurturing. She she wasn't, she, you know, she wasn't a nurturer, but it wasn't because she didn't want to be a nurturer. She didn't know how to be a nurturer. She was never nurtured by her parents, and she had her own set of issues. She was quite overweight and was dealing with a lot of that, and so she just didn't know. So she did the best she could. She was a good mom. She you know, made sure we had what we needed, the meals, the clothes, what have you. But there was her own dysfunction and dysfunction between my parents because they really, I think they loved each other, but, you know, mom kept quiet and silent, was a people pleaser, and dad, you know, he was controlling. He wasn't a narcissist. He was like a just a huge, loving human being, bigger than life. But, you know, he he was used to being head of the household and he took care of things and it could be his way or the highway when he was younger. He kind of got better about that as he got older and wiser, but, um, and he was just a really loving person, but you know, it's interesting as a child, I didn't realize this until I was adult because my story was, and I'm a very grateful person. I always have. I I don't think I learned that. I just, it was, it's just part of my nature and and my parents um, modeled that. But I I just always looked at my life as really ideal. I was so, so fortunate because I see what other people go through. And I didn't really understand my own dysfunction and my own, the, the own set of 
circumstances that came from my life. So, you know, feelings of abandonment, not because I was abandoned, not because I was actually abandoned, but because in my psyche, I interpreted certain behaviors as being abandoned, you see, or not feeling lovable or loved, not because I wasn't, but because my mom just wasn't a nurturer. And she didn't know how to. She did the best she could. And so there were things that I kind of developed, a lot of people-pleasing because it was modeled, a lot of savior behavior because that was also modeled for my father, a lot of superhero behavior. These are some archetypes that I talk about in my book. A lot of superhero behavior, feeling like I had to overcompensate and overdo everything, you know, and just never feeling good enough, never feeling good enough and never feeling like I belonged I always kind of felt like this kind of geeky kid that, you know, was really smart, but I wasn't necessarily popular or cute or, you know, really fit in. Uh, And so I just kind of, and and by the way, looking back now, because I reconnected with childhood friends, I really did fit in more than I thought I did. And nobody else saw me that way, but I saw myself that way. I saw myself that way, you know, and so I realized from my early childhood, I, I, you know, I didn't have the trauma or the drama that other people have lived through, but I had my own set of circumstances and I never honored that because I always looked at everyone else and thought they had it so much worse than I did and I should just be grateful and I didn't realize that it's okay. Everyone has their own story. You don't need to compare your story to someone else's. You know, we all deserve our own healing journey. Well, so remember this when I ask you my final question, um, because this is very applicable to that. But before we get into your book and kind of peeling back those layers, I am I'm curious if you right now were in front of a group of, say, third or fourth graders for a career day, and you walk in the Mm. room and they see on paper who you are, but one of the kids looks Mm. up at you and says, what do you do? How would you answer what your job is and what you do on a daily basis? I am here to remind big people and small people that who they really are, who you really are, so you don't forget, so you don't forget when things happen, that you are good enough, that you are worthy, that you are deserving, that you are lovable that you are loving, and that you have choice even when you feel like you don't, even when you feel like mommy and daddy or the teachers or the people around you are making all the decisions, that at the end of the day, you really have choice and influence, and you can do anything you set out to do. And by the way, you get to choose your beliefs. Even though mommy and daddy have beliefs and other people are telling you about your beliefs, and you're starting to believe certain things, you get to choose your beliefs, and you can change your beliefs. That's what I would tell them. And you get to choose at any time the thoughts that you put in your head. You can change a thought, and you can change your whole experience because of that. So talk to me about the imposter syndrome. How did this idea come about and come to fruition, and and what does it mean? Well, it's, it's the way it came to fruition for me. You know, it's been around for as long as we've been around, but it was just given a name in the early 1970s. But the way it came into my universe is I was working with manifestation and I was working with groups and individuals and really looking at 
you know, looking at it through a, with my gap analyst hat on, I was looking at it and I was saying, why is it that some people manifest very easily? They call in what they want very quickly, very seemingly easily. And others really don't. They manifest haphazardly. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Or they call in, you know, the opposite of what they're asking for, what they think they desire, what they're saying they desire, or more of the same. And I looked at this and I looked at, you know, the misalignment, how things really get out of alignment and that we're giving mixed messages. And then as I started to look further below the surface, I start, I stumbled across imposter syndrome and I started to do the deep dive and I actually was on Clubhouse and I opened a room. I started a club called the Inside Out Club, opened a room, and started inviting people in just to talk about imposter syndrome and do this deep dive. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is where the cracks in the foundation are. This is where the gaps are. This is where the mixed messages happen. It goes all the way back to our early beliefs, and not even our beliefs themselves, but the experiences we had that formed those beliefs, the meaning or the interpretation we had of those experiences that form those beliefs and that then inform our thoughts and our self-talk. And I thought, this is where the gaps are. And I was really just starting to write a book about manifestation, you know, manifest by design, not by default. And I thought, I need to stop for a moment. I need to go back. We need to fix the foundation, you know, before you build the house. And I did the dive into imposter syndrome and I'm fairly intuitive and I was, you know, on a panel and I've always been a really good writer. It's just a talent I have. It's, it's a gift. I haven't always explored it because it is like um, having a baby. It, it's, it's a lot of work and it, it can be a little painful, but you know, the result is amazing, but I've always wanted to write a book and, uh, I just declared one day, it just kind of came into me. I said, I'm writing a book on imposter syndrome. I hadn't started to write it, but I said, I'm writing a book on imposter syndrome. And it's called The Imposter Lies Within. The name just came to me because the imposter lies within and it lies within. And that's that's really how I came to it. So, you know, just describing what you do and, and the services that you offer people, you know, how do you separate who you are and your life and your head and your ego and superego and all these things that make you who you are, but also take on this additional, you know, occupational mentality that is there to help those. How do you separate that so you in turn don't become a part of what you're trying to explain to people with not getting burnt out or not feeling some kind of excessive level of, of burden? How do you, so to speak, kind of, Take that yolk out of the raw egg part. How does that work for you? Well, you know, the way I do it is mindfully, consciously. I don't just expect that I'm naturally going to do that because that's the trap we fall into. You know, um, what I do is, I first of all, I have some grounding and centering practices. And I make sure I ground myself and I center myself. And I you know, kind of separate myself from what I'm doing. I think of myself as a guide or a conduit and I help people through that, but I don't take on their experiences. Everyone is on their own journey. 
So I let them have their experiences, and I have mine. And, you know, I have some spiritual practices. I will cut cords so I don't get too tied into someone else's story, and I just let things go. Now, I've trained myself to do that. I won't say that I always did that because I am an empath. I do take on other people's emotions and feelings. I feel things deeply, and I've just learned the practices to separate that and realize that I can help people much better if I'm able to separate. And then I allow myself to be on my own journey. And I give myself that same grace and space that I give other people. And so, you know, with my own journey, I realize that I've come a long way. I've done the inner work, but I'm always doing the inner work. And I'm always open because at times someone will say something or they'll have an experience. And I'll think, what if this is actually meant for me to look a little deeper? Is there something here for me? And I just stay open to it and go with it because I realize that each time I unlayer something, it's really only helping me. So I'm curious, every day you wake up and you look at your day and what you're going to do, whether it's writing or, or helping people, what do you look forward to the most? What's the best part of your professional life that really motivates you and makes you carry on through it? You know, I'm mostly inspired by the results I see. Um, it's not so much the validation, and of course we all need validation, but it's when I really see that I'm making a difference. And so I'll put a thought in my head of somebody that I've really helped that has gotten a huge aha moment. You know, I'm doing right now a voyage past self-sabotage, and 100%, which is still mind-boggling to me, 100% of the participants, are fully engaged and all getting major, major breakthroughs. So what really gets it going for me is knowing that whatever I'm doing makes a difference. And sometimes it feels hard, even the creative stuff, which is fun. I love the creative part of it. Um, But it also feels like work sometimes, like I've got to sit down and do this thing. But then I just connect it to the result, to the result. And I remember every time how I feel when I see whatever that creative piece is done and I check that box and I see the result, I see someone else consuming that and feeling inspired and seeing it move the needle for them in their lives. It's making a difference. I do want to go back to your last question because there's a part of your last question that was really important. You asked me, how do I keep from becoming burned out? And I'm in the midst of writing a book with the woman who actually wrote the foreword for my book, Barbara Annis. And I'll tell you, I've had to really mindfully put into place practices so I do not become burned out because I realized that I was starting to work seven days a week, 10-hour days. And it's interesting for me because my husband's retiring. We're kind of at a place where I don't need to work. I could walk away from this. I'm not doing this for that reason. and But I'm so inspired and I'm really driven to do all of this. But I realized that burnout is not the way to do this. And that I need to mindfully practice the same things I'm teaching. And so that's where I have to come back to. On, on the daily. On the daily. Yeah, well, and and I'm curious too, you know, your first part of your answer was helping people and I'd like to know, what 
what's been the best fan letter, so to speak, in quotes, um, best response from a client that you've gotten that sticks out to you? Well, one of the best that I can think of right now was someone who, and, and I'll tell you that there are a few that come to mind, but these are people that have done a lot of inner work. They've worked with a lot of people. They've reached out and really have been working on themselves. And one of the people who um, is quite a big figure in her world said to me, you're the only person I feel like when I speak, you really are listening to me. You're listening deeply to me. You're, you know, usually I think, I, I sense that people are listening, but they're thinking about what they're going to say and they're thinking about themselves or how they've helped other people. And you just focus in on me. I feel very hurt. So that's the biggest one. That's the biggest one. But I've had so many, you know, people. I, I have a lot of people that help other people, coaches and healers that come to me. And so I'm I'm just really honored by that. Let me think some others. People are having breakthroughs, you know. Somebody even just yesterday said, I thought I had worked this all out and I didn't realize until I worked with you that maybe the, the most important piece was still hidden under there. Or, um, oh gosh, so many have been coming up recently. In fact, it's just a lot of breakthroughs, a lot of breakthroughs. People are just saying, you know, people, especially with the self-sabotage, Somebody who just recently was had a great opportunity come up and his first thought was, oh, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. And then he flipped the switch with something I taught him. And he said, but I am good enough. And instead of being nervous and worried, I'm going to get excited. I'm going to get curious. And there's an exercise I'd given them about this. And he flipped that switch, and he was very ex- excited. He went into this interview. He knocked it out of the park. They loved him. They wanted him to work with them as a consultant and asked for his proposal. And he said, I went back to write up my proposal, and the old thought came in, ooh, I better ratchet this down. I'm not worth this. They're not going to say yes to this. And then I flipped the switch, and I thought, oh, yes, I am worth this. I am worth this. In fact, they're going to be so lucky to get me. And so these are huge for people that are experiencing this. You know, huge. It was life-changing for him. So um, those, are, those are some of them. You asked for one, but there were a few. No, that's great. That's wonderful. You know, you play a big role in people's lives and helping them out. And, you know, I think all of us need that in our lives. And I'm curious for you, who would you consider a role model or a hero for you? <laughs> Oh, so many people. I mean, I'll tell you, two of my biggest heroes are Barack and Michelle Obama for different reasons, you know, different reasons, even though they're married. Um, It's not them as a couple, although I think they're a beautiful couple, but I just feel that they've, they've given voice in a way that's very digestible for people and very relatable, and they've taken on complex issues, each in their own way, and they've, they've been able to inspire and motivate while, without fluff, you know, while dealing with, you know, very important, difficult topics. And despite, you know, having the race card against them, 
you know, and for Michelle, the being both a woman and a woman of color, you know, they've been able to maintain their composure. They've been, you know, just held high integrity. And they've been able to reach a lot of people, you know, across party lines, across gender lines. You know, certainly they've had people that have been critical and anyone in that position will. But I think they were able to reach so many more people and they were they did it each in their own way and together um, through their mo- own modeling, you know, what they said was congruent with the way they acted. So, you know, I'm not saying they were perfect beings. I'm not saying that we are all, you know, there wasn't some good, you know, obviously some criticism, but I think that's true of all of us. And I think that when we step into leadership roles, especially, I just expect people are going to make mistakes and that's okay because we all make mistakes. We don't do things perfectly, but I think if we do things and we act with integrity, that, that piece really comes through. So that they're the first two to come to mind for me. Yeah. Well, and I don't want to be assumptive with this question, but following that up, I'm curious, who would you like to meet that's alive right now on the planet? Who would it be? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, the two of them for sure, without question. Oprah, um, I'd like to meet Ariana Huffington. I'd like to meet, um, oh, gosh, there's just so many people, just really people, leaders that have stepped out, that that have really spoken up for others, that stand for inclusion, um, people that are really leading by example. When you look back on your life, uh, and you look at all. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I'll, I'll add the Dalai Lama. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's a great one. So when you look back on your life, you know, we leave, we, we have quite a journey, and there's there's a lot of things that happen. And, and along the way, there's accolades and things that we're proud of. What have you done in your life that sometimes you just lean back and think about and it puts a smile on your face, something that you're really proud or happy that happened in your life? It's interesting because it used to be the first thing that came to mind, and these both have to do with publishing. I was a senior executive with a very large um, healthcare company, and at the time I joined the company, they had a, a magazine that went out to a patient population um, that was underserved, um, called the IG Living, and the the magazine at the time was um, not profitable. In fact, it was losing probably about a half a million dollars a year, and there was um, a feeling in the company, not from the CEO, but from you know the CFO and people that were watching out for the finances, that we shouldn't put the money towards it. And I was able to turn that around. But what I was most proud of is then I started to explore this. And I thought, you know, we need another type of publication. Um, and I I had a vision for a magazine that went out to the the providers and the executives at the healthcare in healthcare organizations that was really resource rich and content rich and we published, but we published, you know, really um authentically, not not self promotional. And um, and so I went to the CEO, and he believed in me, and he said, yes, go for it. And so I went to my editorial team, 
And I said, can you handle another magazine? And they were great. And they all said, yes, absolutely, Cheryl. You know, what do you have in mind? And I gave them my vision. And and so we did this in April of 2009. And by June, or maybe it was July 1st of 2009, the first issue came out. It was 82 pieces color, absolutely beautiful. And it was fully funded and profitable. And I was really proud of that. And that magazine is still being published. And our the magazine, both magazines have won numerous awards. Um, they had absolutely amazing coverage with the content. And we would, the people in the organization would be on airplanes and they would see other people going to the same conferences or meetings and they would see that they'd be flying and they'd have our magazine out or you know, we'd ask for um, a leader, you know, one of the CEOs of an organization, if they would be part of our leadership corner. And, and the, the, uh, their assistant said they walked into the room and our magazine was sitting on their desk. So I was really proud of that. But now I would say my book, you know. Um, and so, again, that's why I say they're both publishing examples. Having birthed my book, I, I'm just very proud of that. It it was quite... Um, Quite a journey, you know, nine months, months, it really did feel like a birth. And, um, you know, at the end, it felt like a breached baby. I had, you know, I had all the things that you go through <laughs> with the birth, and now I'm raising a toddler. But it, it was, it, it's just a book I'm, you know, I've had people say that, um, you know, it should be a book that is required reading in schools. I've I've had people say that, you know, it's going to be a classic and, you know, be talked about for 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 ages and you know, I haven't really gotten it out to the world the way it needs to. Um, but I'm I'm proud of it. So, you know, now that you know, COVID's kind of eased, it seems like we might be entering kind of a new realm of life here. And I'm curious, what's next for you? You said you're working on a book. I mean, are you extra motivated now as we move forward to do more and more? How how How's your outlook on everything? Yes, I'm absolutely motivated. In fact, I have some beautiful things on my plate right now. And I have to be careful I don't take too much on my plate um, because I think work-life balance is so incredibly important. But I am in the midst of writing a new book. Um, and the book is called Tapped Out, and it's it's on burnout. Um, we're interviewing some really amazing people. I can't say the names right now because I need to make sure that I have the permission. Um, and I'm co-writing this with Barbara Annis, as I mentioned earlier, and she's the foremost thought leader in the world, global thought leader on gender intelligence. In fact, she coined a term, and she's written five five best-selling books one with John Gray and she's she's just a an exceptional person. She's my mentor, my friend, my colleague. And then we are also putting together a program now. Um something that she started but we've actually expanded now and we're changing the name to to be called Reimagine. And it's really to go out to the corporate world for work life balance. So those are a couple of things. And then my own company, Engineet Wellness Academy um, as I mentioned, I've launched a program, and, and again, I don't call it a course, Joe. I call it a voyage because I feel like we need to go somewhere. Real transformation does not happen just from learning and knowing. 
There's always that gap between knowing and doing. And it's really important for people to get past that gap, to really have that transformation, to make the real change that's meaningful in their lives. And so it's a voyage. It's a voyage past self-sabotage. There will be a part two. It's really, um, um, it's really full. You know, it's a very full and complete um, program. And it's, as somebody that's going through it now said, it, it's almost like a fast track. Like she's just, you know, uncovering, discovering, and just healing and changing her life um, very rapidly. And uh, someone who really was self-sabotaging but went through burnout as well just suddenly woke up after one of the excursions. I call them excursions, not lessons. Um, we have excursions and you know, everything's in the voyage theme, the travel theme. But she said she woke up and all of a sudden, she, for the first time in about four or five years, she felt excited and joyful and happy again. So let's say you have a dream tonight and you run into your younger version of yourself, let's say in your 20s, and you can give that younger version one piece of advice based on the wisdom that you've gained over all of these years. What would you tell your younger version? Don't sell yourself short. You believe in you. You know, don't believe what other people say that want to bring you down. You are enough. You are good enough. You are worthy. You are deserving. You're going to meet a man that's not for you. Walk away. Walk away. You don't need to marry that man. He's not for you. You deserve more, you know. I, I yeah. did that in my 20s. I married the wrong guy. Everyone has a perception of you. Your family, your friends, your clients, your readers, everybody. But ultimately, you live your life. And this is going back to what you had said before about, you know, when you were younger, the perception of yourself versus others. But this is right now. What's your perception of who you think you are? Who do you think you are? Well, I think I'm a really kind person. I think I'm nice. Um... And I think the best of people, and I like that about myself. Um, and I think that I'm pretty driven. I'm bright, but I really think I'm not the always, you know, the smartest person in the room. I'm really curious. So I think I'm a curious person, and I like to learn. Um, I, you know, I have a high self-esteem. I, I, I feel good about myself. I'm very confident with who I am. I can't say I always felt that way, but I do today. Um, I like who I am. I like who I am. I like the way I show up in the world. And I think that I'm, I, um, I'm a peacemaker. I'm a natural diplomat. I'm a leader. Um, but I'm also somebody that is introspective and I work on myself. Uh, I think that I probably am a lot, I have a lot more going on inside internally um, that people see on the outside. A lot of people just say, you're so gentle, you're so quiet, you're so calming. It's always, it's always the feedback I get. And I think now I feel more of that inside too. Um, but before I didn't, I think I was calmer on the outside and kicking like crazy underneath. I, I think I'm calmer now. I think I flow a lot better. But I'm always mindful of that. I'm always working on it. 
So for anybody out there that wants to learn about you, they want to pick up the imposter syndrome, if they anything related to you and your world, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, well, I'm actually pretty easy to find if you know how to spell my name. So it's Cheryl with an S, S-H-E-R-Y-L, and Jeanette, A-N-J-A-N-E-T-T-E. So my website is my name, CherylAnnJeanette.com. My social media handles are Cheryl and Jeanette. I think uh, LinkedIn might have a hyphen in between Cheryl and Jeanette, but Instagram and Twitter and, and the other social media platforms. And that's really the easiest way. Um, Instagram, I have um, an imposter syndrome quiz on my bio. There's some other downloads and free things. Wonderful. Cheryl, thank you for opening up. Thank you for your time. Good luck with the new book and the new adventures. I appreciate it. I appreciate the interview so much, Joe. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, and music around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Mm-hmm.